0: Well, good morning. A couple of weeks ago, I introduced um, a table in our sermon, and I explained that that was the main method of Jesus' ministry throughout the Gospel of Luke, that he, we called it, in, our forefathers called it table fellowship. And we also looked that week at the tendency that Paul was up against that we all fight today, and that is to add to the Gospel, to take uh, religious practices and couple them to the sufficiency that we're told that we have in Jesus through the book of Colossians. But they're not necessary, and the reality is those additions, those gospel pluses, in fact, change the message of Jesus' sufficiency and, uh, and change the gospel itself. Last week, we looked at the tendency that we all have to return to our flesh, and that His sufficiency, if we'll accept it, if we'll receive it, does in fact cover... Um, and change the way that we approach life if we'll simply allow ourselves to receive His approval after sitting at the feet of Jesus, after we've been with Jesus. We looked at some of the rude idols that come from the fear that, uh, that exists in our lives when we're not at His feet. And we also looked at how they force us to compete. They force Jesus to compete for our sole affection in this new life we have of Him. There's this constant temptation in our lives to go back to go back to the old ways, whether that be religiously, legalistically, or even in our flesh. There's a constant temptation to go back to the way we were. Even even the Israelites, when they had finally been free in the Exodus, you remember, they had a temptation to go back to their old ways. They said, you know, we'd rather go back. At least, at least in Egypt, as slaves, we had, we had fish to eat. Because we have a tendency in our broken world. I need to make this clear. In our broken world, we have this tendency to go back, even if what we're going back to is miserable, we go back to it because we're comfortable in it. How many of you have ever heard, misery loves company? Find yourself comfortable in fear. See, all this tendency to go back is is rooted in fear. Psalm 34 says that He delivered us from fear. That perfect love in the New Testament casts out fear. So this morning... Uh, this is a culmination. This morning is going to serve as a culmination, not only as an, an effort to bring all of what we talked about last week and the week before together. It's not only going to serve as the wrap up to the entire seven weeks that we've been in the series of Colossians, but it's also going to serve kind of as like part three to the last two weeks. This morning in verse 17 is where I want to start. And it says it calls us. He calls for us to worship in all things. Chapter 3, verse 17, it says, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What we'll see today is that Paul says this starts in our home, our first place of ministry, and expands out from there. Much like Jesus told us in his very final words to his disciples before he ascended to be with the Father after the cross and after the resurrection, that you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, your own hometown, to Judea, Samaria, and to all ends of the earth what he was saying was that you will you'll be my martyrs those who are willing to die for this cause this message to those who are closest to you paul couples that today as he kind of ends this letter to colossians and he gives us a final challenge he says your ministry really begins with those who are closest to you and it extends from from your own home to then outward so there's the stra- the strategy to what jesus is saying in acts one eight and there 's a strategy to what Paul is saying to us at the end of Colossians that your ministry begins at home and then extends and then extends and then extends to all ends of the earth i 've often heard it said that we need to consider our ministry um, and our tendency to want to go across the globe when we don't exercise the tendency to go across the street. Let me take it a step further. I think Paul's saying something else today. I think he's saying this. We need to watch our tendency to go across the street when we haven't yet established the ministry that extends across our own kitchen table. So this morning, there's this... Uh, Dave Ramsey's been made famous for basically two words. He said repeatedly in his life, baby steps. I think, I think today they apply. Let me continue to read um, as we get into this passage. I'm going to jump around a little bit today. The passages will be in our uh, 3.17 through 4.6, but today I want to start right here in verse 22 and read the first couple verses here, 20 to 24 of chapter 3. Slaves obey your human masters and everything don't work only while being watched as people pleasing, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people." Knowing that what you will receive is a reward of inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Let me just, I'm not, it's not the point of today, but let me just clarify this first word that I read. Slaves is very important. We, we need not allow ourselves to go to the history that we understand in America or even in Egyptian bondage. This is not that term. What we're talking about is a third world country where you either have people who own a business and those who are employees, and that's it. You have the poor, the rich. There's no middle class. So when Peter owned a fishing ministry and those he employed, they were his slaves, if you will. Okay. So you're talking about employer-to-employee relationship. And what he's saying here is if you're an employee, work for your employer as if you work unto the Lord. Do it with all your heart. Honor them, love them, seek them, because the second greatest commandment was what? To love others as God intended. So even in those who have been put over you, work as though you have loved. But I, I don't believe that we'll have an ability to love those around us if we haven't accepted the love that is there before us and available to us by Jesus. Have you accepted that you've been approved and accepted by Jesus? Have I accepted that He has accepted me and loves me? Can I, in fact, lead others to Him if I'm not myself led by Him? And that's our first point today. Who is leading you? Who is leading you? Because you can't lead anyone where you're not, and you can't lead anyone where you haven't been. We visited last week, and I want to revisit it today, those root idols, okay? Again, I want to say clearly that they're based in fear. I'm going to bring them up. Approval. This is the longing to be liked. Okay? Power. The longing for influence. Three. Control. The longing to see things go your way. Or Four. Comfort. A longing for pleasure. Can I say this? None of these in and of themselves are innately wrong. But I will say this, if any of these supersede the approval and acceptance that we have in Jesus, then they become a problem. Let me show you what I mean by this. In Luke 10, there's a familiar story. Maybe you've heard it before. It says, While they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked, "'Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand.' The Lord answered her and said, "'Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about so many things, but one thing is necessary.' One thing is better, and Mary has chosen it. She's made the right choice, and it would not be taken away from her. What the Lord says to Mary, I don't know if you heard it or not, is that she chose what was better. And she chose it in the midst of the condemnation of those who were most important to her, her own sister. Jesus doesn't... Jesus doesn't chastise Martha for what she says. She's doing what she knows. She is trying to be a gracious host and do best by the Lord because she understood lawfully she had a responsibility to take care of her guests. And she was trying to do that. What Jesus says is that she's chosen the better thing. And that is to sit at my feet. And in the midst of your condemnation of her, did you hear Martha? Get her, Jesus. Did you hear her? Get her. In the midst of that condemnation, she hears the approval of her Savior. No, listen. More so than the condemnation of your sister in all that you've been taught, hear my approval in that it's good that you're at my feet. How many of you know that when you've met someone who's been with Jesus, they just look different? Their entire countenance changes. They have a peace about them. When you've been with Jesus, you look different. And the love of Jesus... It says that God is love and it was embodied in him covers a multitude of sin. So when you have this tendency to seek approval, I how many of you have a tendency to be a people pleaser? How many of you have a tendency to do what I call the hop? And as you walk into an environment, you walk into a crowd, you want to make sure that you glad hand everyone that you consider as influential that might in fact elevate your status somewhere in their own minds or in the minds of others. They might help you get ahead if you just know that they saw you and you were seen so that you wouldn't be forgotten. Ever, Ever Anyone know what I'm talking about? Whether at church, at work, in your neighborhood you do the hop and you shake hands with everyone that you think can, in fact, move you on. But listen to me. Is their supposed approval more important than Jesus? No. And is their supposed approval going to kill, like we talked about last week, the root idols in your life? No. Psalm 34 says that He has covered and delivered you from fear. So why would we continue to allow our lives to be led by fear when we have faith in the one who has approved us even in the midst of condemnation of those that that we have deemed as so important. That we have given voice to and license to speak back into our lives. It's so important. Do they supersede what Jesus says of you? No. Who is in fact Leading you, you cannot lead someone to the feet of Jesus if you yourself are not there, so he says, "Please seek to please the Lord, not man verse twenty three from the heart and unto the Lord, for him, not for people there 's this reality to understanding what that first word points to. He says, Listen, it doesn 't matter who you have been, had put above you or who you 've placed above you yourself because you consider them important." Everyone is under the headship of Jesus. He's sovereign over all things. Everything you do, do it unto him. In Romans, he said, do not be conformed to the ways of the world any longer or the culture's message. Continue to allow yourself to be transformed within by the renewing of your mind and place your heart and mind on the things above where the Lord is. Let me ask you a question because we're going to transition here in a moment. When your kids ask you questions about how or why you follow Jesus specifically, what do you say? When you have served in VBS or in Sunday school or in a small group with children, people who are the youngest disciples, the most innocent, what do we say? I want to ask you adults this morning to be very introspective but very action-oriented. How many of us have lied to them? How many of us have lied because we don't have... An answer that flows from a deep and rich place of finding fulfillment and sufficiency in Jesus alone. Because we, like Mary, sat at his feet amidst the condemnation of the world and we heard his voice of approval over everything else. So when they ask, we have an answer and we can tell them, Jesus accepts me. He approved me and he loves you. And this is why I've given my time. This is why I'm in your life. My wife and I have had this conversation recently with two B words. We're thinking about the relationships that we have, not only to our children, but to others. And you know that you can either build bridges or you can build barriers. Bridges take intention and they connect us. There's an old gospel presentation, used use of children a lot, that the cross built a bridge from the world to the Father through Jesus. I love that picture. But most of us don't live our lives like that because when we allow ourselves to be dictated by root idols or fear, we have a tendency to wall ourselves up and build barriers, stiff arming, creating obstacle to deep relationship with other people because we're trying to protect ourselves. So I want you to imagine in your life right now and evaluate in your life, whether it be at work, whether it be at church, whether it be with the people seated next to you or in your home. Are you building barriers or are you building bridges? Because your natural tendency in a broken world is going to be to stiff arm people and to protect yourself. But Jesus said the second greatest commandment is to love others the way God intended. And Paul went on and said we need to lift others' needs above our own. So if this is the call of a New Testament church, then we have to be intentionally about building bridges. And we have to deny our tendencies to put up barriers. We need to lead people in our lives, namely our own kids, to understand that the world is constantly pulling at them with a really loud message. That others and the praise of man is our strive. But let me ask you, how many of you have ever gotten the praise of man? You've gotten your proverbial pat on the back, hands raised, real high. How many of you that was fleeting? Fleeting. It was as easily forgotten as, as it was easily achieved. It's fleeting and it, is, it ends just like this world is. Jesus' affirmation and approval of us is eternal. And if you don't hear anything else, I need you to hear that. Jesus' approval and affirmation of you will last forever. And it covers everything that we wrestle with here. It's how we worship in everything that we do. In verse 17, it said, in word and deed. In verse 23, it says, in everything you do and in heart. Whenever you hear something re-emphasized or restated in one passage, it means with emphasis. What he's trying to say here is, in everything you do, love the Lord your God and make him your object of affection, the greatest commandment. May, May he be your heart, mind, soul, strength. And chase after him, seek to please him alone. And then out of that overflow, in receiving his love and acceptance of you and approval, I want you to take what he's told you and give it away to everyone else, and love as he intended. The second greatest commandment. It's not about being a biblical scholar or even a philosophical giant. We all have to learn to crawl before we can walk. But it's got to start somewhere. And it's got to start in the mind and hearts of those who claim Jesus. Listen, who claim Jesus. And claim that we have been approved and set apart and we trust the bridge that was built from a broken world unto the Father. And we trust that all of our sin was covered in what He did for us even though we deserved it. We've got to live before others though we truly trust Jesus and we've got to grow from there. Because here's the thing, you can't lead your family or friends if you can't lead yourself you can't lead your family and friends if you can't lead yourself hey listen there are a lot of likable people in the world that have been put in leadership positions that can't lead themselves out of a paper bag hello you hear me like this is my second point who's leading your family I'm going to tell you what Paul says here, just like I said a moment ago. He says it starts at home. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Your first ministry and proving ground is your home. Though it's been said, you need to consider... Going, you know, across the street before you go across the globe. I'll say it even deeper. That's just traveling. Whatever you don't do in your neighborhood, you shouldn't try to take across the globe. But if you can't extend an opportunity for your family to follow your following of Jesus across your own kitchen table, probably don't need to go across the street just yet. There's a tendency that we have. And the gospel is built in honesty. Now, I want to be clear. Not all family is blood. I've lived most of my life this way. Okay? Most of my life, I had deeper relationship and fellowship with those who were not blood. I call these people family, Friends that have become family. Because family was jacked up. But the reality is, I still have to be able to set the table for them. I still have to be able to have a relationship that seemingly allows them to put my life on display and ask questions at the very table that I've accepted in Jesus. We looked at the revelations of the wedding feast of the Lamb and how he set that for us and how he stands at the door and knocks. And lo, whoever answers, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. We have to, in turn, as ministers of reconciliation, offer that to others. Everything that I just read about these roles is congruent with what we see in 1 Corinthians 13. When I say that not every every family is blood, what I mean is we have a church family. We call each other brothers and sisters. And within it, we taught it not long ago, we all have roles. We have jobs. There are feet. There are hands. We all have to own our role. When it says... Children, honor and obey your parents. That's their role. That's the role they play within it. Wives, submit to your husbands. What it's talking about is a willing submission. It's not talking about a forced submission. You have to take the picture of the garden here. For all these people to accept their roles, it's a willing submission to not only love my role, own my role, but to walk in my role. God loved me so much that he put me in this beautiful garden, Adam, and, and he gave me expanse, and he only said stay away from the very thing that is most harmful for you because he loved me and perfect love comes with boundary we don't let we don't let preschoolers play in interstates right so we have to own our role and love our role but he speaks to men specifically twice here and i just said if he says something twice it's with emphasis he says don't embitter your wives or peak or not don't Build up a a file of bitterness against the woman that God has entrusted to you who has come alongside you as the paraclea, or the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit was one who would come alongside. It was the gift of the Father through Jesus to us, and he indwells anyone who is trusted in the name of Christ. Eve was given to Adam as a gift and is to be treated as such. So we welcome as partners with different roles. If God has called for the man, listen men, whether you're married or not, whether you have kids or not, if he's called for the men to be the head or to take up a mantle of leadership, I need you to understand what he just called you to do is to be the lead servant. He just called you to die before anyone else. He just called you to lay down your life for those who are in your life and to be an example to others. And when it says, don't exasperate your children or erithetso, he says, don't cause them to lose heart. When you set the table, but the thing that you say you're about because we watch you out in public is not who you are at home. You cause your children to lose heart. Who are you at home? Is what he's asking. Who are you? The true leader Who makes people around them feel like they're pulling for them. And that pulling for them starts in their home. One who recognizes I don't have to be perfect. But I've got to start somewhere. Let me read an excerpt from one of my favorite books. And I highly recommend it. This is from Terrence Chapman. And uh, Do Your Children Believe. He said, "I've, I've never met a man of faith who didn't want to be the spiritual leader in his home. He may not have known whether he could do it. May not have seen how he could possibly make time, but it's something that he knows he should do and he wishes he was doing. At the same time, I've rarely, if ever, met a woman of faith who wasn't dying for her husband to ascend to that role. And if he won't, or if he isn't there, she realizes she's going to need to do it for her children, whether it takes because it's that important. Believing parents know that their kids have a strong foundation of faith and they need to have that. And they want to be able to give it to them. So you'd think that with this much consensus globally there wouldn't be a neighborhood in America where at some point in the evening or at least at some point in the week half the families weren't huddled over the scriptures holding hands in prayer kicked back in serious spiritual conversation making plans for their next big ministry project over the coming weekend or during the summer. Yet even with such honest, across-the-board desire on everyone's part, the hard truth remains that fewer than 10% of Christian families ever really engage with one another for the express purpose of encouraging or informing their growing faith. And not 1% could show you any kind of written plan to even briefly describe the spiritual direction that they together are working towards. If ever there was a math equation that didn't make sense it didn't add up, it's that one. And it has me wondering why. Not for that 20 years of my married life, I wasn't square in the middle of the 99.9 percenters. Despite having been a prominent business executive with three of the most recognizable companies in the world, Citibank, Coca-Cola, Johnson & Johnson, despite being an elder at one of the largest churches in the greater Atlanta area, despite being confident in my own abilities to lead well, a constructed Bible study for any group of people on any given Sunday, I was admittedly failing and failing miserably as a spiritual leader in my home. I was successful in just about everywhere life could make me succeed. Except for the one place where I was truly irreplaceable. I was proving to be inept and inadequate. And the only place where there was no one else who could come alongside and bail me out. Or fill in for me if things decided to go south. What Terence is saying is it starts at home. And you cannot lead the outsider, which I'm about to read over. You cannot lead the lost if you cannot lead your family and lead them to ask questions like this. Does your family know that you trust and desire Jesus alone? Have you lived as if you've been approved and accepted and you beckon questions for them in that? Have you expressed to your family that Jesus is pulling for you even though you're not perfect? Does your family know that you desire the role that you have in your family and you honor it and you'll lay down your life just so that you can lead your family to pull for one another unconditionally because Jesus first pulled for you? Verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 of Colossians say this. Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know what you should answer a person. The outsider here is talking about anyone who's out of relation with Christ. You've got to understand what Paul's writing to here. You're talking about a, co- a coming together of both Jewish background and now the Greek, and they've formed in the new covenant a church. And it doesn't make sense to the world. And so they have a lot of questions. And what he's saying is you you are called to lead them to the truth. You're called to lead them to the new covenants formed in my blood. But, But it is impossible to lead others to that place when you haven't first led your home to that place. It's impossible to lead your home to that place when you yourself have not been led to that place and trust his approval and acceptance of you. Because here's the thing. How many of you have recognized, you've been walking with the Lord enough to recognize that He's incredibly gracious and we have to extend that same grace to others? Let me give you an example. It's happened around the table when I was in seminary. When I was in seminary, I got trained in evangelism and they were, I was taught this acrostic, okay? I'm not saying it's successful. I'm just saying it happened, okay? We were taught, me and my friend, to... Um, To give away the gospel by taking the word faith and breaking it down, F-A-I-T-H, maybe you're familiar, I see some heads, maybe you understand, and to give that away. Well, here's the thing, we had been trained on it, we had studied it, and now we were going to go give it away, and we were invited into a house to give it to a family one night. And the person that was so engaged was the wife, the mother. As we walked in, my job that night was just to be uh, the prayer partner, I wasn't in fact giving it away. My friend Rick was going to give away the gospel through F-A-I-T-H, and I was just going to be praying for him. As we engaged, there was a key question to be asked is, you know, what do you think it means for someone to go to heaven? They gave an answer, and he said, I'd like to answer what the Bible says about that if it's okay. So yeah, it all comes down to word, and the word is faith. Let me use an acrostic. F stands for faith. And he went completely blank. I could hear it. He didn't know what to say. I didn't look up. I just began to pray. And he goes, F stands for God loves you. And, and he, he didn't have a biblical reference, just God loves you. And, and I was like, Jesus, help him recall, you know, <laughs> All the training, God help him remember the biblical truth that goes with this. Help him to come along. So F, God loves you. Okay? A, God really loves you. (laughs) A. I, God really, really loves you. By the time we got to H, God really, 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 really loved this woman. Loved this couple. And I'm not kidding. As I prayed, the Spirit felt so thick in that room, despite my my friend's ineptness. I heard the holding back and then the flood of tears as that woman just needed to hear that God had unconditionally loved her and accepted her, approved her. And she gave her life to Christ there that night around that table. As she asked questions, we answered about God's approval and acceptance of her despite the condemnation of the world. You see, we have the ministry of reconciliation and we're asked to reconcile others to God. But here's the thing, guys. As we close Colossians today, it's not going to matter that we spent seven weeks in Colossians if we don't accept His approval of us ourselves. If we don't accept that we ourselves have been loved and received and in Him it's sufficient. We've journeyed for seven weeks, but have you heard? We don't need anything other than Jesus and the work he's done and to grow up in that. And it's really hard. It's really hard to hear the message of Jesus amongst the condemnation of even those who are closest to us. But we have to try. We've got to place ourselves in really close proximity to Jesus and sit at his feet and hear him approve us even when... Even when others say you should be busy doing something else. Even when inside we feel ourselves going, you didn't talk to so-and-so. You didn't go see so-and-so. They didn't know you were there, so you're going to be forgotten. All the lies start to well up. Do you hear me? As we run around seeking to be approved, we've already been approved by Jesus. If your personal ministry to the world flows, follows a structure like Jesus paid for us in Acts 1-8, then we have some things to consider. We've got to ask ourselves, am I more concerned about what Jesus thinks than what others think? I'm likely giving less than a wholehearted commitment to Jesus. But this morning I need to be reminded that he graciously loves me. He really, 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 really loves me. And I need to sit in that. And out of my life, to my friends, to my family, to those who extend across the table from me... I need to be able to live graciously. Because here's the one thing I want to encourage us all. You cannot fool family. Hello? You can't fool Jesus. We hear that all the time. If you think that you can fool your family or family, you might be able to fool everyone else, but uh, you simply can't fool those who are closest to you. Home is your first ministry and they know who you are. If you're seeking to be a ministry of reconciliation, then I've got to ask, Who are you with those who know you best? And does your heart care anymore for the lost? Does your heart care anymore? Is your heart broken? My heart is beginning to break for those in my life who are outsiders. But do I concern myself more with their needs than my own? Is there anything in their life they need more than Jesus? And if if they're not going to hear it from the pulpit, are they going to hear it from my life preaching before them because I've been accepted and approved? Because Jesus' approval of me matters to me more than anything else. Am I living as though I trust before them in setting the table for them of any who want to require? If they have questions, has my life beckoned to hear those questions and answer them? This morning you've probably noticed this table setting, and I'll point out a couple things you may have noticed as well. You've noticed there's no wine goblets. Well, it's because I broke one earlier. You know, I went to set this up, and out right here, actually. So please don't go barefooted there. Glass shattered. I've met, you know, that goblet has been in my my life for 17 years of marriage, and and like I, my wife's finding out that we know we're down one goblet right now in front of all you. <laughs> Safety in numbers, right? So it'd be, it wouldn't work to put out one goblet here, right? So no goblet, but you know, it's kind of her fault. I mean, I can't eat a hot dog without putting <laughs> mustard on my shirt. Why are you going to trust me with our china? It made it 17 years though. In this bread basket though is what I want to point our attention to. Before they left this morning, I was here and I watched Eric lead our students to ask and answer one thing. What's your largest fears? What are the largest fears you have, and what do you need to put before the Lord? I've read through these, and I read some different fears. I read a couple don't dies. That's always in there. I actually read one that said, I hope I don't get murdered. I was like, where do these kids think they're going to camp? It's like, welcome to Elm Street. You're Freddie, your roommate, you know. But the one that I've read repeatedly, and it's the most common in this basket, was this one. My fear is that my friends will think less of me because I'm deciding to follow Christ wholeheartedly. And here's the thing. Is that not your fear? Is that not my fear? That I would actually accept the approval and the acceptance of Jesus so much so that it causes me to live differently before others. And and the thing that keeps me from doing that is because I'm afraid they'll reject me. But quite honestly... They may just be looking at my life, inquiring, even if I don't have all the answers like my friend Rick that night who was inept. They may just want to hear that God really loved them and approved them despite all the condemnation. But they'll never hear that unless I live like I trust that before them myself. Because the largest and number one fear of all our students headed to camp is that if I turn it around for Jesus, will I be rejected by everyone else? And if that's you here this morning i got to say, you can pray with some empathy, and I'm going to have you. Eric's asked us to do this. I'm going to put these out here all along this altar this morning. And in a moment, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask for you to move and respond in action. I need you to think about where you are with the Lord right now, and, and quite honestly, who is leading you, who's leading your family, and how you're ministering to others. But our students need us to pray for them. And what Eric has asked is that we would take these... Lay them all out here, and as a church, one by one, come and pray over one of these. Write your name, sign it, that you prayed for it, and to leave it here so he can hand these back to all the students who just went to camp. When they get back, they'll know that their church was praying for them and intentionally took time in their service to do so. But if you, like them, are concerned, afraid that you won't be liked by anyone else if you choose to follow the wholehearted wholeheartedly after Jesus. Listen, I need you to hear more than the condemnation of those around you. And we need to pray intentionally more than the condemnation of their friends. Our students and we this morning need to hear the approval and acceptance of Jesus far louder than anything else. Amen?